Recording live from the streets of rage, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast number eight. I'm your host, Jess. And this is Adam. And we have a very special guest on the cast, our own RF Generation graphic designer, merchandise designer, database reviewer, super collector, and source of envy, Mr. Dennis Grashula. Hello there. Mr. Dennis, thank you for coming aboard. I'll try to drop the mister now. Thank you. (laughs) Coming up, we have some front page stories, a few gaming news stories, a few game shout outs, an interview with Dennis, and we'll chase it all down with the top five things only hardcore collectors notice when setting up a new home. So, Dennis, what brought you to RF Generation? Well, I was pretty much there from the get go. Um, It was, there was a site called video game Bible that Mike Collins was a staff member on way back when, and he left and started up RF Gen and been a member since day one. Awesome. So you're our art design guy, and thank you for your work, and including our, our own logo here. Um, so did you have any particular inspiration for the design elements of the site when you first put it together? I mean, was there anything that you were going for, or just something for fun? Or Well, actually, um, Mike had did the original design and maybe a year or two in he thought it just needed a little cleaning up so we basically stuck with the same color scheme and same basic look and feel like he had chose the font that we used and um there was actually originally like a photo of a little rf switch on there so we basically i just basically went in and gave it more of a graphic you know look and feel to it but it's it's pretty much uh you know from his original design i just kind of tweaked it a bit Actually, that's even cooler because it's just kind of, in a sense, still in his honor. So I can mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Well, now I'm kind of the odd man out in the room, in which case I don't have – I'm the one here that doesn't have 6,000 games in their collection. Um, Dennis, how did your crazy collection really start? Well, I've pretty much been a pack rat all my life. Uh, so I have my original Atari from when I was a kid and my original Nintendo and – uh, Sega Genesis, and then about 10 years or so ago, I decided to start trying to, you know, see if I could still find some old Atari games and NES games. And after I came home with uh, quite a few, my wife kind of jokingly said, "Well, why don't you just try and find every game for every system that's ever been released?" And uh, dum, dum, dum. I thought that was a pretty good idea. And <laughs> she's been kicking herself for saying it ever since. <laughs> if I only knew. And how how long has that been since you since that fateful day? Uh, probably about 10 years ago, I think. So, yeah, about 10, 10 years and 6,000 games. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So, actually, you said you uh, grew up as a pack rat. Is there anything else you, you're actively collecting? Um, well, I got a pretty sizable record collection. Um, I'm always picking up books whenever I hit the thrift stores. Um CDs, DVDs, oh, whatever else catches my eye, I guess. It's always something. Dennis is Media Man. <laughs> so that's pretty, I, I'm, yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I find myself, you know, fairly in awe with some of the finds that people come up with on the site where, you know, I, I dream of finding stuff like that around here because nothing ever comes to Kansas. Where do some of your cooler finds come from? Pretty much everything in my collection I've found at you know various thrift stores in the area. Um, in the summertime, I try to hit a lot of garage sales and 
um, open air flea markets, stuff like that. But um, I'm pretty fortunate because where I work and where I live, there's at least two or three thrift stores on various routes that I can take to or from work. So I try to, you know, hit at least one every day on the way home from work. And then usually on the weekends, I'll go out and make the rounds to a few places that are a little, a little further out. But yeah, everything's, you know, I haven't got a lot of stuff from eBay or trades or anything. That's been pretty fortunate finding stuff just in Salvation Armies and Value Worlds and stuff like that. I've noticed a lot of uh, a lot of our big time collectors. They have the route, <laughs> the uh, yeah. the kind of like the circle they make whenever they get a chance. And I'm the same way. Um, there's just a couple of of hot spots that I always try to get out to, and uh, and then of course like when you know when the nice weather rolls around, just being able to get out. And I think that's that's still part of the greatest joy to me um, is when the weather's nice, just finding flea markets and garage sales, just something because you never know. I mean, you just get crazy stuff. Yeah, that's half the fun is you walk into a place and you might find nothing, but you might find, you know, Vectrex or something cool like that. You never know what's going to be in there. So it's always, where, uh, it always pays to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, where on earth do you put it all? <laughs> yeah, I, if you talk to Sonic where he keeps his rings, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I, I don't actually have a game room. Um, I do have a small corner of the basement where quite a bit of stuff is piled <laughs> up and then... You know, pretty much any space I can find room for. Um, I know all my DS games are sitting on the headboard of our bed upstairs in our room. Uh, I do have all my 360 games and original Xbox games and a couple of bookcases in the living room. But, you know, other than that, most of the stuff's like packed up in boxes and stored in the basement or, you know, anywhere I can find room to put it. Actually, in the in our basement uh there's a bathroom down there and there's an old metal sh- metal shower stall that i haven't used in years and right now it's full of uh all my empty uh game boy boxes and <laughs> empty system boxes please <laughs> so pull the shower curtain and there's a bunch of games in there <laughs> who okay, needs that, bathe? who needs we, to bathe we have we, we need space here <laughs> we might need a picture of that at some point that would be actually I did, there was a picture of it on my profile for a while <laughs> finally took it down that, actually that that Reminds me of a goofy thing. I, t- I took a picture of this. I want to put it up on the site. Um, I had a, a big garbage bag full of the old vinyls for Nintendo cartridges, and uh, I got them from a game store when they closed down. And I mean, I probably got like 200 of these things, and uh, they were left in a shed that got uh, that was just started deteriorating. The bags themselves got strewn out across my yard, so I picked all of these vinyls up, and they were still in good shape, but they were they were just been out in, outside. So I filled up the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> sprayed it down with Lysol <laughs> and I just put 200 NES vinyls in the tub and you know they were just sitting there and I'm like well I kind of got to agitate this a little bit to clean them so I get this big metal rod and I'm stirring this thing realizing this is just one of the most bizarre pictures you could possibly take so I took one I, I need to throw it up on the site and I'm probably going to have a caption contest or something just to say, oh man what are you brewing here <laughs> So uh, yeah, that just actually you reminded me when you were talking about you know those, them being uh, the boxes in the bathroom stall. So I was like, yeah, I, that reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, what is for for a man with this many games? What's your favorite game or game related item? Hmm. Well, it seems like it, most of the time I spend is playing all the music games like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Um, I really like. Uh, Call of Duty 3, That's I know there's been several since then, but that's still my favorite. Um, as far as game-related items, um, 
God, I got tons of them. I I really like the old board games. They came out in the eighties on based on the old arcade games. Um, I actually um, I found a cool puppet that was like a promo for Lunar Silver Star. Story. Ah, the the Galleon puppet. Yeah, I've got, I found one of those. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I've got a Donkey Kong Country skateboard. That was pretty neat. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I think I got some Mario walkie talkies. You know, I, a lot of stuff like that. I think is pretty cool. Would you consider yourself more of a collector or a gamer? Probably more of a collector. I spend more time going out looking for games than I actually do playing them. <laughs> and so yeah, then what? At, at this point, your backlog <laughs> such that it's like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, go there's. Sorry. It's, it's probably inconceivable that I'll ever play all the games. <laughs> there's probably be several that I'll never get played. And what's what's your craziest deal that you've come across? Uh. Crazy stuff. I don't know if I had any crazy deals. There's been a few things that I was really surprised that I I found um, in a thrift shop. I got a, a Japanese Sega Pico. Um, I found a PAL, <laughs> a PAL Super Nintendo. I mean, it just seemed like an odd thing to turn up in a, in a Salvation Army, but um, in, in know, the boot obviously of they the... were cheap because they were play, You know, they were cheap because they were in the Salvation Army. And, I, and another cool one was. Uh, I found the Milton Bradley Microvision complete in the box with about six games, all complete in the box for like five bucks at a value. Where I thought it was pretty cool. Wow, <laughs> man. So, okay, how did, how did you get to the breaking point? Because you said you were more of a more of a collector now than a player. Mm-hmm. How did you get to that breaking point for collecting games that you don't really have any interest in playing? Like the, I call it the, the Barbie Adventures dilemma, where you see this and you're like, Barbie, okay. Uh, this is not something that I'll ever put time into, but I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if I don't have it and I find it, I end up having it. <laughs> I don't really. So I've got the Barbie games. I've got the Mary Kate and Ashley's, the, the, that um, Barney game that came out for the Genesis. So they're all in the collection somewhere. I can't laugh too hard about the Barney game because I have, I think, two completed box copies from various purchases. <laughs> Yeah, I can't say anything either because sometimes we'll have competitions over here to play through all the kitty games that we can stand. <laughs> now, I do have a daughter, so I can sometimes pass it off as the <laughs> games, or I bought them for her to play, but you know, they I do log them in my collection, so technically I do own the Barbie game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you do get to game, um, what kind of gamer are you? A social gamer, loner, hardcore, casual? Um, I would say social. Um so I like playing. I mean, I do play online once in a while, but I really like playing with my friends more. There's a bunch of us that get together once a month. Um, actually, tomorrow night's our next game night. Um, we get together, hook up a couple 360s, and play till two in the morning. And there's always a you know a ton of food, and you know the insults are flying left and right. And, I mean, that's to me half the fun. I'm just, I mean, I don't even care what we're playing. It's just you know getting a bunch of guys in the room and eating and making fun of each other. It's a blast. So, yeah, That's what it's there. social. That's what it's there for. So, Dennis, how have you noticed uh, video game collecting change over the years? Since you know, you, you've got a, a large collection, and you've been doing it for over a decade. What's uh, what have you noticed? You know, as as transition in that time. Hmm. I think it's getting harder to find stuff. Actually, I mean, when I when I first started doing it, um, there was always piles and piles of Atari cartridges and NES games and. And I really don't see that too often anymore. I mean, I still find stuff, but you know, mostly it's uh, PC games and and uh, you know the newer stuff. It seems like the, as far as 
as far as my normal hunting circuit, which would be you know thrift stores and garage sales, it seems like a lot of the older stuff is is not to be had anymore, like it was a few years ago. Because I can remember coming home with you know bags and bags of stuff. But a lot of the places used to you know throw twenty cartridges in a bag and sell it for ten bucks, and I haven't seen that in years. So I think well, you know a lot <laughs> of the collectors are maybe you know more stuffs going towards Craigslist or eBay than you know can donate it anymore. Well, to be fair, you probably have purchased most of that stuff that you're not finding anymore. Yeah, True, finding but... things you don't have is going to get to be a challenge at a certain point. Yeah, but I'm not even seeing stuff I do have too often anymore. So It, it is an odd juxtaposition that I've noticed where the, it seems like the more and more popular gaming gets, in a way, the harder and harder it is to collect for. I mean, not even just because the prices can sometimes skyrocket now that you know it's a more mainstream hobby, but like you said, you know, it used to be you could find just, uh, you know, what would even be considered retro now, I mean, not even like Atari and Nintendo, but even like PlayStation, you know, right. and Saturn and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Just used to be you'd always see at least the same common titles out and about, and now it's it's just, it's drying up so quick. Yeah, it, it, actually, sorry, what? I haven't even really seen like any Nintendo 64 or anything like that in quite a while either. One random phenomena I have noticed over the years too that I was just I always like to see if this is just me and I'm being crazy or if this really does happen to other collectors. There'll be a, a game that I have not ever seen ever, um, and I'll be all excited that you know I finally found this copy, and like, say like Ducktales 2. I've never seen it for you know, all the time I've been collecting. I finally buy it within like the year. I'll see like three other copies in random <laughs> places, and I'm yeah. like, well, where were these hiding? I mean, is it just me, or does that happen when you have that? No, that happens. That um, I that when I um, got my first uh, Sega Master System, I was probably like three or four years after I seriously started collecting. They had a bunch of games for it. Didn't have a system. Didn't really want to, you know, buy one off of eBay. I was like determined to find one out in the wild somewhere. And then once I finally did, it seemed like you know within a year I had like four or five more of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're yeah, they're all in hiding, and then once you expose one, they're they're all like, "All right, we give up the ghost. We've we've been actually sitting in the closet the whole time." <laughs> so, where do you see gaming in say ten years? Well, the one thing I fear is that the physical copy is going to be a thing of the past fairly soon. I mean, everything. It seems like we're going to be heading towards digital download only which is kind of disappointing for a collector but it seems that's possibly on the horizon for us yeah that's very disappointing for me um i i'm a huge uh fan of physical copies for no you know no matter what it is whether it's i don't even like buying I, you know i've never bought a game for my phone or my ipod touch or anything like that because it's like i, I just have a problem with not you know, getting something back out of the money I put in. I mean, something like Minecraft where there's, you know, you can play for 24 hours a day. I mean, that's, you know, for that little of an investment in that, that's huge. But, something, you know, a buck or two for those kind of games, I can't see it. And then to, to actually have to, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4, I think they're saying, uh, I think they said it was around 40 gigs worth of data on the Blu-ray disc. And to try and pull that over an internet connection, you're going to be sitting for days, and you know, providers are starting to cut, you know, introduce, you know, download caps again, um, and so you know, it may cost you more than just the uh, selling price of the game to 
play a game anymore. Well, the parallel aspect to that that bothers me is that we've, we're really moving into, even more than the digital download aspect, we're moving into a video games as a service as opposed to a product. You know, you're, you're paying for the limited time used to entertain yourself with this mm-hmm. item under these very specific strict restrictions. And that's even more so than the digital, because I'm the same way. If I don't have a physical copy in my hand, I'm, I'm far less interested. Um, and so it's it's one of those pieces of how the the business model has changed that I'm less of a fan of. And, and we've mentioned this in the cast before. You know, you've got uh, downloadable content story components where if you want to go back and revisit a game years later, you know, there's a good chance you're going to be missing out on big chunks. And if it's a part of a series like, say, Mass Effect, you know, there's possible story elements you're going to be missing out as you go through the whole series. So, yeah, I, I agree. That's not something I'm <laughs> nearly as much of a fan of. Well, to, to kind of go along those lines, if you look at some of the downloadable content that's coming out, you you go to download it, and it's like either you know, extra characters or costumes or anything like that. But it, you know, it could be additional levels or something that you you download it. You go to download, you, you pay for it. You go to download it, and it's like it's downloaded, done. But it's you know a whole like a 40K entire level file pack. or something. Yeah, yeah. And it's just unlocking stuff that's on the disc. I have a huge mm-hmm. problem with that, and I think that that's. You know, I, I hope that that is not the next kind of step, but the, yeah, the the software or you know any kind of software as a service or you know even gaming as a service kind of thing, that's going to be you know where we essentially are going to end up with a subscription model for playing games over the internet. That's you know Nintendo tried it with the, I think essentially they kind of tried it with the BS system in Japan, but um, uh, to do to do that with uh, you know these huge 40-hour, 50-hour games with cutscenes and movies and everything else. I, I, I really think we could be in for some bad times. Well, it's we're there in some aspect right now. Like uh, I picked up Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and you know we're loving it because it's it kind of removed part of the barrier of uh, of the memorization. It's so easy to pull off crazy stuff in that game. Everybody wants to play it, and it's I've got a code so that when two more characters are available, they're going to be free to download, which effectively puts a, a disparity between me and somebody who doesn't have those characters. I mean, even if they don't have any interest in playing with those characters in the game, mm-hmm. if they don't know how, if they've never fought against them before, they're not going to know how to count. You know, that, that game is dependent on, like, you know, frame counters and knowing how to how to <laughs> react and respond to another character if you're playing, you know, if you, if you play it enough. And if they've never hardly played against these other characters, I mean, it creates this huge disparity. It's just, you know, it reminds me back in, with Magic the Gathering, you know, where you, every now and then you'll get a, a block of cards where, well, if you have the money, you're going to be trumping everybody because you've paid for these better cards. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that they're moving into on gaming that I just, uh, I don't I don't care for that at all. But So, Dennis, what's in the future for you and your Grand gaming collection. Well, hopefully somewhere to put it all one day. <laughs> I have a lot of, you know, plans, you know, in my head for what my ultimate game room would look like. So, that I mean, hopefully one day, you know, move to a place and have a nice big room to set it all up in and display it properly and, you know, have a few, you know, several TVs set up for different consoles and all that. But um, as far as adding to the collection, um, just keep doing what I'm doing, <laughs> doing my normal circuit, and see what I find. Mm-hmm. See if uh, check Craigslist. See uh, when a super Walmart moves out of its old building, <laughs> and then just grab that sucker. <laughs> be tempting. <laughs> and, uh, so and yeah, my next house will be a big empty warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll uh, we'll just put a shower in the very back corner, and we won't put games in that one. We'll just leave it for us. The rest <laughs> of it. <laughs> I do have one I can actually use, so no worries there. <laughs> so, you got any advice for those new to the video game collecting scene? Well, my advice would be just you know don't get frustrated starting out. Be patient. Um, always. You know, if you see a place that you think might have games, stop in and check. And it's always a good idea to go back numerous times, even if you don't find something the first three times you stop in there. You never know what what could turn up. Um, I think it's important to know, you know, what you know, kind of an approximate value of things. If you're going to be buying from you know dealers or or, or buying online or whatever, just have a rough idea of what stuff's worth. So you know, RFG is a great source, and there's a lot of people that can help help you out with that. Um, so you're not, you know, paying too much for something that's not, you know, worth what somebody's asking or, you know, if you have familiarity with how things work, so, you know, you're not getting damaged goods and, you know, like the whole thing that Jesse had talked about, you know, a few months back about the disc rot and all that, know how to identify things like that. So you're not buying, you know, damaged goods. Awesome. Well, hey, we uh, we really appreciate uh, your time here hanging out with us and, and getting drilled over collecting. <laughs> no problem. Feel free to edit down my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> it's, as long as it's better than our rambling, we're good. <laughs> All right, so let's see what's new around our site. Our very own Crabmaster2000 gives some love to the overlooked gem Zach and Wiki. Uh, Mary Guy wrote an excellent article on the most hated video game missions. We're looking at you, forced stealth gameplay and random escort setups. And Single Banana gives us a review of one of my favorite Atari classics, Vanguard. I really think that game's responsible for my love of the shmup genre. Good stuff. So, Mr. Adam, what's new in the gaming world? Uh, looks like we've got a pretty official announcement that Beyond Good and Evil HD will be coming out later this year for um, the Xbox 360, which hopefully means some uh, good news for fans of Beyond Good and Evil, and hopefully that a sequel could be in place. I really enjoyed the first game, which, I mean, it's going to be just an HD update for it, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, have you have either of you guys played this one? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I It was like... Um... Like a lot of uh, Michael Ansel's products, I, I liked the uh, the art design. I liked the the setting. Uh, sometimes I thought that the gameplay could have used a little more tweaking, but I liked what they did with it. I got a feeling that this uh, the HD remake is kind of like we're throwing it out there, and we're seeing if there's going to be enough interest generated to go ahead and continue with a full blown sequel. I think that's the reason why we had a teaser from a few years ago to see, you know, hey, let's throw this out there, let's throw these guys a bone, and see if anyone's still going to bite. And and I think this HD remake was the like the next safer step. Uh, you know, to to do that. I mean, the Capcom executives said that the reason why they threw out the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 out on live and uh, and uh, the PSN was to see if you know people would actually be interested in a full-fledged sequel. And uh, I think that's actually one of the best parts about these uh, these HD remakes is that it kind of tests the waters in the market to see you know, hey, is it safe to <laughs> to put full-blown money into a sequel? Mm-hmm. So you know, if anything, I might pick it up even though I don't. Don't always jump the gun for those HD remakes. I might do it just to help support the the IP itself. All right, we've also got an an official list of 3DS launch titles. Some of them we've mentioned with the Nintendo Dogs and Cats um, and Super Street Fighter, but we've also got these are not launch window games. These are actual March 27th launch titles. Um, Pilot Wings Resort, Steel Diver, which I'm not sure exactly what that one is. That's uh, a sub game, and what's interesting is it takes place mainly from like a, a side perspective. 
and it uses the gyroscope where, uh, like, if you actually are using the periscope in game, <laughs> you can you can sit in the chair and just kind of rotate around, and it shows in like a real time <laughs> update. You know, it swivels around. <laughs> so uh, it. it it shows some interesting ideas, but it feels like it might be more of like a let's throw all the gimmicks for the 3DS into <laughs> a game and experiment and see what people like. I got a feeling there's going to be some developers, you know, reading through all of the feedback online for games like Steel Diver to say, oh, they didn't like this. Oh, well, mm-hmm. oh, they everybody liked this part. So, The Sims 3 is coming out. Uh, Madden, which I think Madden was already kind of announced as being – it was coming out on the 3DS, but it's actually going to be a launch title for it. Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars, which I thought they already had that one, but it's I guess this is going to be a separate game from the other... It's based off of the uh, the new series, I believe. Oh, it is? Okay. Series, yeah. Um, now, this one's kind of interesting. I mean, they've got... Namco's going to have Ridge Racer um, in 3D, but Sega is coming out with Super Monkey Ball 3D as a launch title. Now, I don't know if... I don't believe that was in any of the stuff I've seen so far, but that... I saw a note on it. I think that could be pretty neat using the gyroscope to kind of, kind of tilt the table. I think it'll it may work a little bit better than trying to use the Wii remote. Um, it seemed like when I played well, the, the Wii tough- versions, it didn't seem like it was as responsive. Well, the you never we never saw a Motion Plus variant, so it's kind of hard to judge. But the, uh, the the thing that I'm concerned about, just like some of the, uh, the the tilt sensors that they had in some GBA games like Kirby's Tilt and Tumble and such. Mm-hmm. When your screen itself is on the device you're controlling to tilt, to move, yeah. that can be a little disorienting. And uh, so you're talking about a barrier that keeps you from wanting to play a game in public. I mean, some people already think they look goofy whipping out a, <laughs> a video game system when you're, when you're sitting there rolling Waving back and forth. <laughs> but the sad part is they're, they're hilariously fun. So I guess this, in a way, will be kind of our cue to see uh, how sensitive that gyroscope is built into it to know if it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a platform for these kind of games. Let's see. We got a Bust a Move game, uh, Samurai Wars. We mentioned Asphalt 3D, which is a racing game. Um, this one, I don't know if this is one of the cooler just names um, of a game. Combat of Giants Dinosaurs 3D. Um, that sounds like an early focus test title. <laughs> It's like a patent for a game name. <laughs> Ubisoft has... They also have a Rayman 3D game coming out. And um, a Ghost Recon. And there's also going to be two onboard mini-games that aren't necessarily cart titles, but they're going to be uh, built into the system. So, when, you know, you don't necessarily have to buy something right away, but it'll uh, have a couple mini-games right off the bat. They're trying to keep us from realizing or remembering that we're not getting the Mario title right away. Or Ocarina of Time yet. That's okay. We'll get <laughs> virtual dogs and cats to play with for a while. That's kind of surprising there isn't a Mario title in there. Or even a Luigi title. I mean, even the GameCube had a, a Mario Universe title at launch. Right. Well, I think that it shows how quickly the last few components were added in development. Like, I mean, they even, uh, in the I think it was uh, in the last... Uh, I want to ask, or something along those lines, I read that uh, the 3D aspect and the gyroscope were added a lot later in development than than you would expect for the hardware. And so I'm wondering if they, as Nintendo oftentimes tries to kind of show off some of the new hardware features with their games, I'm wondering if they just really didn't have enough time to pull something together with the polish that they would have wanted to show it off. 
And since they knew that the tech itself was going to initially get the system out the door, I'm wondering if that's what, what the delay is about, which might not necessarily bode well for the first gen, but you know everyone expects the first gen titles to yeah. be something that goes to the bargain bin pretty quick. Geek fantasies can come true in the Wunjin district in China. Back on February 7th, there was kind of a, a rumor that was coming out that there's going to be a World of Warcraft and Starcraft theme amusement park in China. Looks like there's some more photos that are coming out, and um, finally, I can get Zerg flavored ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Oriental Land is what's kind of the overall name for it, but in there's a place there's going to be a section called Joyland, which is going to be comprised of five theme sections: Terrain of Warcraft, Universe of Starcraft, Island of Mystery, Mole's World, which they're calling the cute section, and World of Legend. So it looks like there's going to be kind of two separate sections of the five themes that are dedicated to a couple of Blizzard titles. And only in that part of the world can you get by with this with zero licensing whatsoever. <laughs> I wonder if that's where they moved the Gundam statue to. <laughs> yeah, you, you could never get away with that, you know, in out, out here and uh, likely even in Japan, but, uh, you know, if you're in China and you're a gaming nerd... They're, they're originally saying that this is supposed to be opened by March, but they're saying that it looks like by photos it's not going to be ready by then, but you know, from the article it says, then again, this is China we're talking about where entire hotels have been built in six days. I mean, I'm not a big World of Warcraft fan, but could you imagine if anybody would, you know, taking the trip to China just to go to see the World of Warcraft amusement park? I would take it just to see the cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I don't get into the Horde district. Uh-huh. You know, this is to me like StarCraft is in, in Korea. It's just one of those. It's a cross-culture thing, and it's hard for us sometimes to realize just how how huge this is in other places of the world. And it, it makes me curious, just you know, one of those days, just to see at least once before it gets shut down, just you know, just to kind of walk around and <laughs> enjoy somebody else's version of of what we consider our culture. Speaking of which, uh, the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment is an organization dedicated to the preservation of video games and presentation of games as art. Uh, they are currently looking for a building in San Francisco to house a growing collection, and right now they're using Kickstarter so that you can uh, – they're trying to raise money so that they can actually you know, purchase or lease a building and start setting this uh, museum up. And for as much as gamers want to claim you know, our, our respective hobby as, uh, the, as the, the best art form, the new art form that, that you're able to, to really you – know, have expression you could never have before some like this version of interactive entertainment i'll get off my soapbox now um (laughs) it amazes me that we're so easy to defend it in words but a lot of times people never put money into this kind of thing you know they they see this kind of stuff and they're like oh yeah i hope somebody else supports it (laughs) and it's and i'm not saying that you know we should all jump in and throw them 20 bucks but this isn't the first time that a collective has put together a museum for video games, especially with uh, the art aspect in mind. And they, they never seem to stick around for very long. Uh, you've had uh, old hardware PC museums. Uh, you've even had just dedicated to people doing art for video games. And sometimes they'll have displays for a little while, but an, an actual institution that capitalizes on this uh, never seems to survive. They, they surface every few years, and then they just kind of go to the wayside. And... Uh, there's a lot of different angles to look at that. I don't know if it's so much a, a matter of, as gamers, we kind of just assume that, you know, this is culture, this is art, and so we're not going to really need to put any money to defend it because 
you know, whether you support this or not, there's still going to be a Madden next year. There's still going to be a Call of Duty next year. And so I think that uh, it's going to take a certain niche audience to go big enough to be able to actually support a project like that. And the shame is that by the time that actually happens, uh, a lot of this stuff is, you know, it might just not be able to be tracked down anymore or have a collector willing to part with some of the gems that, you know, they're hoping to have. Mm-hmm. And and to be quite honest, that's been one of my dreams to to at some point open something similar to this. So, you know, whether this one actually turns in anything or not, I mean, I've heard of a couple other ones that are, you know, kind of in the works, but... To to me, I mean, I, I, I'm I, I've read a little bit about it, but I think to be able to do something where you can both you know have the museum and have all the information, but and again, I haven't I don't I haven't read a lot about this one. Have it to be interactive as well would be killer. I mean, you oh, have the one in San Francisco, the the MADE. They're even talking about like having courses and classes, like a regular art museum that you'd go okay. to. You know that. So yeah, they're really trying to go professional and all out with it. But yeah, I, th- I definitely think for a, a video game museum, interactivity is you know a big part of the point. You know, something set up to where you could actually go and experience. Or we could all just go over to Dennis's house, you know, <laughs> hang out there for a while, <laughs> rifle through some boxes. Could do that. Hop in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> We've got another little chapter in the PS3 hacking saga. Um, a user by the name of Graf Chocolo um, had his private home raided by police uh, on the 23rd in the morning. Um, and they confiscated all of his accounts and anything related to PS3 hacking, including his... I believe they took his PC and everything, too. Um, Don't take the Bravia. Don't take the Bravia. He had mentioned before that if he was pushed by Sony or otherwise, um, he would release his all of his PS3 hypervisor knowledge to the world. Uh, well, that has been released and is being dubbed the Hypervisor Bible. Um, so, you know, here we go again. The the information is now out there, and it's it's going to be hard to, to stop this. I mean, they're 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 going about this the wrong way because they're also. I mean, this is this is Streisand effect stuff. They are bringing more attention to it by having all these outrageous things happening, where they are you know raiding people's homes to to get the information back rather than either trying to find a patch for it or saying, here's your Linux back, and then most of this stuff will kind of die out. Well, when you have a, a beast as big as Sony that, that you're attacking, uh, this is going to be the inevitable result. It, it's not even that there's one or two really smart guys that understand the situation that can control it. I mean, you've got the, the legal arm of Sony that says, a law's been broken, we need to take action, and we need to take it quick. And then you have the hardware and software sections that you know aren't necessarily talking to the legal section to say, no, wait, you know, this could be bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. You've got, you've got like, you know, a hydra here that is attacking the problem from you know all these different directions and unfortunately when you have a corporation as big as Sony you know it's like the Kevin Butler thing you know <laughs> retweeting his loss in battleship you're um you, that's a marketing arm and the marketing arm's not going to have a real clue about the hacking you know to a certain extent you know these guys aren't necessarily the the, the tech nerds and so it's going to be so easy for this whole thing to fall apart like it does. And a lot of people, it's easy to shake your fist at Sony without realizing, you know, one arm wasn't talking to the other when this was going on. And so that's how this just explodes like it does. And, of course, it's just given me less and less reason to want to play games online (laughs) PSN. Well, it's like I said before, when when the code was released, uh, and I know that this wasn't necessarily directly related, but, I mean, the hacking got so bad on Call of Duty games on PSN that people weren't wanting to play them anymore. Or, you know, less and less because of it. And so, 
you know, I, it's, this is just going to keep on perpetuating, unfortunately. See, there was also a rumor where there was either code for it or it was kind of a concept deal where these hackers would have a have a program they could run on their PC and set and trigger the ban flag on their particular console. And that's kind of been, it looks like based on some additional reading, it's kind of a concept thing, but if, if it's just a flag set on the console itself and not something that's stored on Sony per account or something, I mean, people, you know, there, there's talk of being able to ban or unban any console, any PS3 that's, you know, put out there by just putting in whatever information. Yeah, this is the reason why you know the, the closed box idea, uh, especially for online play, to me is still a, still a good idea. You know, it's it's so easy to accidentally stumble across a game that you know, where you're just nothing you can do. You're just you know the cheaters are going to be running rampant, and it's just you know it's not fun for anyone who's not cheating. So it's a shame, but it's it's a nature of things, and uh, it it's one of it makes you wonder what kind of security measures they're going to take with the next generation. That's one of the reasons why they keep on going digital is because they're they're trying to find you know better software methods to try to keep this stuff secure. And so it's just that arms race between you know <laughs> hackers and and the uh, security features. Note to game hardware developers: don't poke the Linux hackers. <laughs> <laughs> they are not a beast to be trifled with. <laughs> If they can run Linux, chances are they can break your security eventually. <laughs> and this might be some bad news. Uh, for you Atlas fans, uh, it appears that Atlas's US PR team has put out a release saying, Catherine is a Japan-only game, and there are no plans for a North American release at this time. Sorry about that. <laughs> like, I can't read Japanese yet. <laughs> that might change, because they've had... Uh, like. 160,000 copies their first I think it, like right away I don't, I don't remember the time frame but it, it's been selling pretty well so it, it might give it, them the push they need it uh, comfortably beat Marvel vs. Capcom 3 in Japan to the top of the all formats chart which is pretty impressive for us <laughs> it's not even an RPG it's like a it's a puzzle game slash psychological sexual horror experience this, so this, I side mean, is, this guy is calling it a bizarre erotic horror arcade puzzler I mean <laughs> you're you're not going to get much more niche than that without getting into like singing firemen or something like that. I mean, oh, <laughs> oh. So if we're to sell that well, I'm, <laughs> I'm still keeping my fingers crossed. I, I love the the I love the uh, the Shimagami Tensei team um, and what they bring out. So I'm just you know, <laughs> you know that actually that's a great uh, segue here to one of my game shoutouts, um, which. It's uh, <laughs> the, I can't uh, believe you brought up singing firemen. <laughs> oh. I had to. How do you get more niche of a market than that? Oh just, just, man, that's the perfect uh, segue for me for uh, the one of the later uh, game shoutouts that I've had, uh, which is by it's published by uh, NIS America, so you know it's going to be relatively niche anyway. And this is about as niche as it comes. Hyperdimension Neptunia. It was just released for the PS3. It's a role-playing game, and the premise, <laughs> I kid you not, the premise is what if you took the current console war, i.e. the PS3, the Xbox 360, and the Wii, you changed them into anime chicks, you set them in a game world called Game Industry, and you have them square off against each other, yet having to unite against a common foe known as, what else? R4. 
as in the the uh, hacking utility. It's my jaw just dropped. I am not joking. <laughs> I'm holding. Not only am I holding the the uh, the game. I'm holding the. Uh, the collector's edition, the premium edition, in my hand, which comes with a hardcover art book. <laughs> it, it is as outlandish as you would you would you would expect. Um, it's. I actually heard, and this is <laughs> to let you know the maturity level that we're talking about. Um, I heard a comment for ABC gum, as in already been chewed gum, within like the first 20 minutes of play. This is a level of maturity we're expecting with this title, but it's it, it's like a bunch of uh, it's like a bunch of fanboys got together and used one of those game engine creators uh, to, to just <laughs> go hog wild, and then and then they published it. And here's here's the here's the terrible part. It's not that great of an RPG. Surprise. I mean, it's um. <laughs> It's it's worth going through though, just because you want to see what on earth they're going to come up with next. Because they they introduce some um, game companies as characters like Gust and uh, and um, Idea Factory. Uh, they have game companies as side characters to your quests and such. And there's constant <laughs> in jokes for people who who would you know like the the chick that represents uh, the Sega world um, who's uh, who's. The Neptunia in the title is actually reference to the uh, the never actually released Neptune console, the, you know, the prototype that that Sega was developing, which is where they got the title from. Oh. And uh, you know, there was a reference of uh, you know the Nintendo chick was doing what what she, you know, I do what you don't, you know. I mean, just like little snippets there where you, you know it's easy to miss, but you're like, I see what you just did there. Um, but the, the dungeons are simple. The combat is is pretty bizarre, and um, it's it's somewhat on the easy side. You know, as as a RPG goes, it's not going to compete with like you know your Final Fantasies and your Dragon Quest and such. But just for the sheer bizarro factor, I had to bring this up because <laughs> it's. I, I think that the store I picked my copy up from, they was they got two copies in, and both of them were reserves. So <laughs> it track it down. Don't expect this wonderful game, but you just have to see this. <laughs> it is so out there. So what have you been playing, guys? I have recently restarted because of. Again, the fun of having to, you know, get a replacement console, I had to restart uh, 3D Dot Game Heroes. And once I, you know, I started playing it and I got through a little bit before I had to, before I got my, you know, replacement console. And it was, uh, you know, it was fun, but you start getting into it and you start kind of getting deeper and deeper into the game. And it is, uh, It is a lot of fun, and there's a lot of uh, humor into it with, like, breaking the fourth wall and um, kind of some classic game references. Like, there's one hole that you blow, you know, one uh, wall that you blow a hole in. It's, you know, got the cracks like the Zelda games where you blow a hole in the wall. And um, go inside, there's a creature that kind of looks, you know, it's essentially the Moblins of the game. And he says it's a secret everybody gives you 100 gold. There's, you know, all kinds of just references like that where... I mean, not to mention the fact that it's a fun game to actually go through. Um, a lot of the same, same kind of puzzles and stuff where you got to blow holes in doors. And there's, you know, there's different items. There's a lot of similar items, like on Zelda. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting kind of gameplay elements to it with, um, you know, in the desert you have these swirling sands you have to kind of make your way through. There's a lot of classic kind of gaming puzzles where it's, 
not necessarily where you have to, uh, you know, there's, it's just a lot of the same kind of classic adventure games like the original Zelda was. And it's a, you know, a lot of fun to play. Not to mention, if you have some gullible friends, you can convince them that you hacked your PS3 with the new release, and now you're playing Minecraft on it, and you made Zelda. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Dennis? Playing anything lately? Well, I've been playing uh, Backbreaker on the 360. It's a football game, kind of a, more of arcade style than than you know the Maddens. A um, little easier to figure out. There's not quite so many plays for each you know each team. Um, busted out Guitar Hero 2 again recently. Went back and been trying to finish off some of the songs I hadn't beaten on Expert the first time around. And uh, I got this cheap 50-cent game for my PC called Cradle of Rome that I've been obsessed with for the <laughs> last month or so. It's one of those, you know, Bejeweled-type things. You know, one of those, you know, mindless games that you can stare at the monitor for hours and while away the time and really not accomplish much. So, um... That's about it. <laughs> you know, I I picked up Backbreaker. I've I've played the demo and I I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it's you know just kind of one of those games where you like it or you don't, or if it's just nobody picked it up because um it's not Madden. I mean, there's some running game issues and stuff with it, but um I thought it was pretty enjoyable as you know at face value. Yeah, I picked it up a few weeks ago when uh, GameStop had like a it was around this time of the Super Bowl they had a 25% off all their football games, so I went in and scrounged up. I picked up that one in All Pro 2008 <laughs> and um, Doug Williams Black College Football Experience. And <laughs> just been kind of, kind of going, going through them and trying. That one's actually kind of interesting because you actually have to perform a halftime show in, it, in that Doug Williams game. It has really? Drum lines. Yeah, it has the whole drum line stuff where you can actually hook up your rock band drums no way. during the halftime show and play the drum line sequence and then go back in and play the second <laughs> half of the football game. No way! It's, that is killer! The only thing <laughs> wrong with that game is the... That commentary is like totally unrelated to what's going on on the field. Like your your running back will get hit for a two yard loss, and the announcers will say, you know, great gain on that play. And so the audio is quite a bit off with the, you know, the fact that you actually have to play the halftime show is kind of different. If you're losing, you should have to be the cheerleaders, <laughs> like an old track and field event or something. When Vanguard was mentioned on the front page, uh, it, it again, you know, I kind of thought back and realized. That game is likely responsible for how much I enjoy the uh, the shoot 'em up genre, and I went back and I uh, I played around on uh, Raiden 4 and uh, Raiden Fighter Aces on the 360, and I'm so thrilled that you get these uh, obscure compilations and releases that come out every now and then, um, because they're just so much fun to go back and revisit and. For as many people as, as talk about these old classic games, you don't, you know, they just they don't generate very good sales numbers, and, and in a way, it's kind of beneficial. They come out at a budget price usually, but uh, if you liked the old writing games uh, and you don't want to pay an outrageous amount to get the uh, the compilation for PlayStation, check out Raiden 4 on the 360. Uh, it, it's it's beautiful. Uh, they they really refined the gameplay, made it a little bit more of a bullet hell shooter than than the previous uh, Raiden games. But it really makes up for the the lackluster three on PS2. Uh, with it's got excellent graphics. The music is all remixed original, uh, you know, like the the original stuff remixed. Uh, it's got boss boss rush modes. It's um, you know, if you're a shoot 'em up fan, 
yeah, definitely check it out. It, it's perfect for <laughs> for gamer dads like me who don't get more than a few minutes of, of a stretch sometimes <laughs> to sit down and play something. So you can just kind of have like a few minutes of intensity and feel like you know, hey, I got some fun in. So uh, it's yeah, very I'm, cheap at GameStop too right now. I think it's only like twelve ninety nine. Oh uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Now they got Raiden Four, which is an actual successor to the original Raiden and Raiden Two and Three. I don't like to mention three. And um, then you have Raiden Fighter Aces, which is uh, the, the side story kind of thing that they went with, uh, which is a compilation of Raiden Fighters Two and Jet. And they those are still sprite based, um, and they're they're more score attack games. Uh, they're still ridiculously hard when you're first learning the patterns, but. Um, yeah, they're two separate releases, and the Fighter Aces one is, is almost more like a, a retro throwback. Uh, well, really, it's just a compilation of the three arcade games. And then 4 is like the true successor to the original Raiden with uh, with polygons instead of sprites and uh, you know cool special effects and, and such, and it's got online leaderboards. Neither one have um, online uh, cooperative play, like you can't actually jump in two-player with a buddy online, which is really unfortunate at first, and then I realized just how badly they they've still got Ikaruga running on online because when I've, we picked up the 360 uh, Xbox Live release every time since then we've tried to play that online it's got terrible terrible uh, frame rate issues and chugging and Ikaruga is not an easy game it is not <laughs> something you want to have a second and a half delay for everything to press <laughs> You know, I, I want to see one of these perfect videos that they make of, of Ikaruga when somebody's playing the live version, especially co-op, <laughs> because it's not going to happen. So, yeah, after realizing, you know, it's not like... If they gave it a server for Raiden, it would probably be something in a basement somewhere running up a 386. So I was like, well, you know what? At least it, it's still got the co-op play at home. But um, <laughs> make a long story short, if you're a shoot 'em up fan, or even if you just kind of want to rekindle that, that old kind of gameplay, yeah, go to GameStop, pick up... Raiden 4 or and or Raiden Fighter Aces fun time. I just got one more quick one. Um, Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Enough said. That is enough said. <laughs> it's <laughs> Say it's enough said. And I had to just say it's one of the only game series where, you know, instead of, hey, I'm going to take you down, it's like, my wife could take your wife to town on this game. <laughs> Dude, my wife has been taking me to town with freaking Dante and it doesn't really matter who the other two people are she's just killing I mean she if, if she you know we'll, we'll usually try and do you know random characters and but she tends to wait until I pick I get my random characters and then she'll either manually select her characters or go ahead and go random on it but if she ends up with Dante man I'm, I'm usually in for a good fight there <laughs> you just gotta force her to pick MODOK and like Thor or somebody for the other characters you know, and, and really, my son—he's like I said—he'll he, be five here, geez, within a couple of weeks, and he—he kind of—he likes to play because he likes all the Marvel characters, but he has his team set up of either Hulk, She-Hulk, and Modok, or Deadpool, Thor, and Wolverine, and that's just because those are his favorite characters. But you know, it's—it's it's fun, for, you know, for us all to play together, just kind of mess around with it, but. Man, if she gets Dante, I am usually hosed. I'm really liking Beautiful Joe, though. He's he's. I mean, I, I really like the the Beautiful Joe games, but and to, to have that kind of same control with it, it's a lot of fun to play with. But um, man, I, I'm I'm just having a blast with you know. No matter which character I'm playing with, it's just a lot of fun to play. Agreed. Good pickup. 
And in honor of our guest, we're going to cover the top five things only hardcore video game collectors notice when setting up a new home. Number five, no wallpaper matches the traffic cone orange and sunflower yellow of boxed Atari games. Number four, the ominous stare of NES spokes robot Rob does, in fact, ignore you from anywhere in the room. Number three, takes a special kind of friend to move 23 boxes of game magazines. Buy this person a pizza. Number two, while stadium seating in your living room is preferable for home console lands, couch stacking is only legal in certain cities or provinces, apparently. And the number one thing only hardcore video game collectors notice when setting up a new home, there is no wall with 14 power outlets. If there is, stop repainting and get out of the electronics store. You can't live there. Speaking of which, it's time for us to move on to. We'd like to thank again Dennis for hanging out with us. And as always, if you have any questions, thoughts, queries, insults, or topic suggestions, be sure to post them on our forums at www.rfgeneration.com. You can also use the site to blog and track your game collection. Um, you can chat with us online on IRC, on in channel RF Generation, on QuakeNet. And you can also give us a call and leave us a message at area code 318-RFG-TIP-5. That's area code 318-734-8475. Uh, I'd like to say thanks again for to Dennis for uh, sticking with us. And as always, don't forget to keep it on Channel 3. Barbecue flavor of the future. <laughs> 